Well, it's good to be here. I've heard a great deal about uh, Church on the Rock North. I'm a dear friend of your uh, pastor. Uh, pastor Sam Walker has come up to Wisconsin uh, to preach for me and to my congregation. To this day, my congregation speaks about your pastor, Hepimone, is what they always refer to him as because of the testimony that he gave. And uh, I've heard him speak at missions conferences. We share uh, common friends. And it's just exciting, exciting to be here. First time I had ever been in Beaumont. I imagined Beaumont to be a little bit of a town like my town. Uh, Wapaka, Wisconsin is only 5,000 people. And we go to metroplex cities like Beaumont to do our shopping. So when I pulled into Beaumont, I go, boy, Brother Sam, he just, he lives it up in the big city. But I guess compared to Houston, uh, I guess Beaumont would be considered a small city. But it's a fine city. I was driving through and it was just a beautiful city. I commend you all. A great, great, great city. Uh, when I visit a church, I'm looking for uh, the Spirit of God to be present. And uh, my hope is anytime that I go to a church that I can experience the presence of God. And uh, I usually judge a church by three things. If I've experienced the body, if I've experienced Christ through the body, if I've experienced Christ in the worship, and if I've experienced Christ through the preaching of the word. And so when I first arrived, there were greeters here. People just made us feel welcomed. And uh, I could just tell by just the way you all mingled with each other that the Spirit of God was here. And I could experience Christ through the body, and I commend you for that. Great uh, Spirit of God that's just moving through you, all the body ministry. And, of course, the worship was fantastic. A good selection of songs, and it gave me the opportunity to express what I wanted to to the Lord uh, through the words and the tempo, and it was just a great time for me to experience the Lord. And I'm hoping to continue what you all have already done in me and give you a word uh, that will help you experience Christ. Uh, I'm actually originally from Texas. I was born in, uh, in, uh, in uh, McAllen, Texas, San Juan, which is right outside of McAllen. And uh, my parents were missionaries. I grew up in Mexico, but we would come to Texas quite often to San Antonio to do some uh, R&R. And uh, I lived in San Antonio. I pastored uh, along with, uh, as a staff pastor with John Bell, along with David Bell, and I think the close friends of the church as well. And I even uh, got involved in Texas politics. I ran for the House of Representatives for Texas in San Antonio I didn't win, obviously, and, uh, but it was a great time for me to just be involved in Texas. And one, one night, the Lord spoke to me. He says, I'm going to send you north. And I said, okay, Lord, uh, here am I. Send me. And so I thought at first God was going to send me to Siberia. You know, I, I, I was into missions. And there's a story in the Bible where the prophet told the king to take an arrow and strike it against the ground. And he only struck it three times. And the prophet shook his head and said, you should have struck it a hundred times because the number of times that you strike the arrow against the ground is the number of descendants that's going to be on the throne. And when I read that years ago, I go, anything that God asked me to do, I'm going to do passionately. So when he said, go north, well, Siberia, here I come, and Alaska, here I come. But none of those doors opened up. A door opened up in Wisconsin in a little tiny town of 5,000 people. And I'm here to tell you, unlike what the commercials say, the happiest cows are not in California. The happiest cows are in Wisconsin, and I can prove it to you because they have some of the best-tasting cheese. So if you ever make your way up to Wisconsin, you've got to drop by Wapaka. I'll take you to some of the finest dairies, introduce you to some of the best-tasting cheese, and I'll introduce you to some very happy cows pasturing in the back skirts of, of Wisconsin. Uh, Pastor Sam came in September. He ministered for us. 
And uh, I took him to Lambeau Field, which is the uh, field where the Packers play. And I got a picture of him wearing a cheese head. And uh, he put it on for about 10 minutes and took it off after I took the picture. And he said to me, almost thou persuadest me, O Philip. But not really. He's a, he's a diehard Southern football player. And uh, he, he just goes for them Southern teams. But that's all right. I expected that he would do that. But uh, he got a chance to just experience a little bit of what the North is out. So I just want to extend to you, everyone who is here, if you ever make your way up to the North, we'll treat you well. And uh, we'll show you what it's like to be part of the Northern country. But nonetheless, being in the North does not exempt us from the same problems that every Christian has. And that is the fact that we live in a postmodern world. So this morning what I want to do is I want to minister to you on the subject of living, staying spiritually fit in a postmodern world. Uh, whether you're in a small town of Wapaka, Wisconsin, or in Beaumont, or in Houston, or in San Antonio, no matter where it is that you may be, our children and our children's children are being influenced by a way of thought that I consider to be somewhat dangerous, scary. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you the keys to promulgating the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to your children and to your children's children until Christ comes again. Now there is an absolute 100% proven method to overcome the attack of the enemy through the postmodern thinking, and it is the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you with a big idea, a big thought today. How will the Holy Spirit operate in your life? I was sitting at International Bible College, that's where I graduated from, in San Antonio, Texas, and one of the professors there, by the name of Van Gill, he asked the class, he says, now I want you all to be honest, and back in the time when I was going to school, Benny Hinn, how many of y'all have heard of the evangelist Benny Hinn? He was, uh, he was quite famous traveling around the world, and he said, now I want you all to be honest, how many of you all like Benny Hinn? Raise your hand. Now in the school classroom that I was at, at that time there was about 50 students, and I got to tell you only about two students raised their hand saying they liked him. Now he says, now I want you again, he said to the class, to raise your hand. How many of y'all do not care much for Benny Hinn? Raise your hand. And the vast majority of the students just said, we didn't really, didn't care so much about it. Now I'm not today casting a verdict or a judgment on him. I'm just reflecting upon a personal testimony. And so half the class, or better than two-thirds of the class, raised their hand. And the professor made a profound statement. He says, well, I want you all to know that I like what he's doing more than what you're doing referring to the class. And then the professor profoundly said, how will the Holy Spirit be at work in your life? What is God going to do to impact nations, generations through your life? Now, I grew up in a church that was very, very conservative, but it was a spirit-filled church And there was a stage in my life when I began to be critical of everything that my grandparents and my parents did. A lot of theatrics took place in my time. I saw a lot of of flesh mixed in with the Spirit. And so I entered into a stage where I became critical. I had a critical thinking. That is, I engaged in the postmodern thinking until that moment that I was in that class and I had to answer the question for myself. How will the Spirit of God be at work 
in my life that I might, gener- might demonstrate to my children and to my children's children that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is alive in my own life here today. We spend a great deal of time, I think, criticizing what previous generations may have done, criticize what we see either on television or in other things. But today, the big idea I want to challenge you with is how will the Spirit of God be at work in your life? Let's talk about a couple of things. First of all, what is pre-modernism? Social organization and daily life is directed by God. God has provided scriptures as the guidebook of civil ceremonial and moral law. This is what being a pre-modern thinker was. People believed that all things uh, were ordered by God. God had an intent and a plan for all of humanity, and humanity as a rule would line up themselves by asking, what does God want for my life? That was what pre-modernism was, and this was true from the creation of the world up until about the 19th century. But then the great thinkers, university thinkers, began to just, in the 19th century, penetrate the thinking of students by talking about modernism and the need to modernize our thinking. So modernism is defined this way, the idea that traditional forms of religious faith, social organization, daily life are outdated in the new economic, social, and political conditions of an emerging, fully industrialized world. What the modern thinkers were saying is that things around us are changing. The world is becoming industrialized. Uh, We're becoming a global world. Uh, Economies are kind of merging together. And that the old pre-modern thinking is what they said just simply doesn't apply anymore. So we need to modernize our thinking. Now I'm going to tell you that God is not opposed to modern thinking. In fact, oftentimes it is God who gives us the tools to move in modern ways as long as the Holy Spirit is allowed to move through us. Let's go on to what is postmodernism. Postmodernism is defined this way, the idea that all realities are only, in other words, there's nothing that is actually real, all realities are only social constructs and is therefore subject to change. It claims that there is no absolute truth and that the way that people perceive the word is subjective. Now, the danger about this, constant changing world, non-absolutes, nothing is absolutely true, is that it becomes very difficult to anchor on any one reality. And this is dangerous. So today I'm going to say to you, and I hope that you walk away with at least one solid thought, that the unchanging fact of life from creation until now is that the Holy Spirit desires to penetrate the heart of man and change it to God's pleasure. So in my town, I preach unequivocally the Spirit-led life. Now, it may express itself in a lot of different ways. Frankly, in our church, some of the expression of the Holy Spirit is different than what my parents saw and my grandparents saw. It is different. Because I've, I've been on a quest to answer the question, how will the Holy Spirit be at work in my life that I might be able to demonstrate to my children and to my children's children the power of God that they might experience the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob until generations to come? 
And I'm finding that the Holy Spirit is so willing to demonstrate himself through me, and I'm telling you he is willing to demonstrate himself through you if you will simply ask that question in this modern world that we live in, postmodern thinking world that we live in, how do I, holding the keys of truth that unlocks the heart and mind of people, how do I allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in my life? Paul experienced this. If you have your Bibles, open with me this morning to the book of Acts, and I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 17. It's in Acts chapter 17 that we find that Paul visits in a row, systematically, one after another, three different churches. The very first church that Paul visits is the church of Thessalonica. Now, there was old church thought, old synagogal thinking. These were people who were avidly studying the Septuagint, the old scriptures. They loved the old scriptures. And so Paul came to the synagogue and began to preach to them, teach to them. And it says to us in Acts chapter 17, verse 2, it says, And Paul had the custom that he went to the synagogue, he went to the service there, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the Scripture to reason with the people. The problem, they loved the Scripture, but they did not allow the Holy Spirit to convict their lives. And the Bible says that the religious leaders of that day became jealous of Paul and began to persecute him, so Paul had no choice but to leave Thessalonica. I want you to hear me. More and more churches are open to the idea of Scripture teaching, but they immediately shut down to any conviction of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Thessalonica church was suffering of. I pray today that you will not become a Thessalonica Christian. I pray that you will open up the Word and be in love with the Word, even as so many others around the world are, but that you will allow the Word to instruct you on how to yield to the Holy Spirit so that you might be an influence to your children and to your grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So Paul left there. They loved the Scriptures, but they refused to listen to them. They refused to yield to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in their life. So Paul leaves Thessalonica, and he comes to Berea. And he finds a group of believers in Berea. And the interesting thing about the Bereans is that they both loved Scriptures and they loved to live by them. I hope today that you will become a Berean Christian. That you will be a person who reads the Scriptures, loves the Scriptures, yields your life to the Scriptures, and you will allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life. So Paul was there with them for a season and continued to expound upon the Word with them. Look at what Acts chapter 17 verse 11 says. They searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Can I tell you something about the Holy Spirit? It is not a distinguisher of persons. It is not a respecter of persons. The Holy Spirit will move among the Greeks, it will move among the Jews, it will move among women, and it will move among men. So regardless of your gender here today, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit wants to express itself through you to show the light of the world through you. And so Paul found that in Berea, and then Paul goes to yet another town. He goes to the town of Athens. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 18, and you see that he goes from one town to the next, all towns being slightly different. And I believe that this chapter 17 of Acts is a good reminder to us that we live in an era when all three of these church are present. We're influenced by all three of these thoughts. 
But this last church that he visits, I believe, perhaps represents the greatest threat of our modern thinking, postmodern thinking. It was the Athens who ridiculed the word of God. It tells us that in Acts chapter 17, verse 18, that he had showed up there and he became very troubled by what he saw. And in 18, it says he debated with some of the Epicureans. By the way, these were the philosophers. These were the great thinkers, the minds. I know that in this city, there's a a university. It's a higher learning city, a higher learning area. And so Paul debated with the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he picked up? Others said he seemed to be preaching about some foreign god. But later on, we find that what Paul did is he continued to expound the word, and yet some believed. I'm going to pop up about seven different things, eight different things here that Paul saw, and I hope that as I teach you this morning, your spirit will be turned, and then I'm going to begin to just talk about how to allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life. Let's look at these seven things that Paul saw when he came to this this church. Paul was deeply troubled by what he saw. I believe it was the Spirit of God inside of him that was stirring him to actually take action, to do something. I believe that the Holy Spirit knew exactly what this town needed. They needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They needed the word preached to them. I think the Spirit of God knew that Athens was ready for such a, such a person to speak the, the truth like Paul in, in Athens. So he was deeply troubled. It tells us that in verse 16. Then Paul took the message to a public forum. If you watch the news, you're going to find out that there's more and more pressure from federal government to force our thoughts into non-public forums. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has its place in public forums. So Paul took his message to a public forum. Paul debated with the philosophers. We find that in verse 18. Paul used philosophy only to obtain the philosopher's attention. We found that in verse 19 through 29, Paul was not stuck on philosophy. He was passionately pursuing a relationship with Christ through the Holy Spirit. The next one is Paul used the universal idea of creation as a unifying point. Isn't it interesting that today it seems like the thing that is under attack is this idea of creation, the power of God to make things happen. Paul used quotes from Greek philosophers. We find that in verse 28, but that did not become his primary focus because finally, once the common ground had been established, Paul transitioned to the Christian message that is found in Scripture. So the question is, is the Scripture today truly valid? Does the Bible today really speak the words of life? Can I find hope for the future in the Scriptures? I wish I could convince everyone that I talked to about the validity of the inspiration of God upon scriptures. Every time that I read the scriptures, there is something that happens inside of me where this inner man begins to be stirred, where I begin to feel something. I can read other books. It doesn't do that. But there's something about reading God's word that just stirs something deep inside of me. Folks, I'm here to tell you, your children and your children's children, they need to see the Spirit of God at work in your life. 
I want to give you just two or three very quick testimonies about how the Spirit of God wants to work through your life. Our church, like yours, began to grow. We had a very, very small sanctuary. It could fit at its best 150 people, packed in like sardines. And so we were about at that level, and God had given us a vision to continue to grow. And uh, this was about seven years ago, and as you know, seven years ago, the economy, it just tanked. It may have been a little bit longer than that, and just everything was upside down. Now, the old rules of financing was that if you had 10 or 20 percent, you could go to the bank and pretty much borrow to build. So we had saved up a little bit of money, and uh, we needed to go to the bank. And again, the, the banks weren't loaning money. The economy had tanked. Things were just upside down on everybody, everything. We went to three different banks and applied for loans for us to build a new sanctuary on the property where we were currently at. Now, I want you to know that my testimony this morning is not about money. My testimony this morning is about God and the work of God in your life. Now, he's at work this way in my life. He may be at work differently in your life. So the question again is how will the Holy Spirit be at work in your life? So I was completely frustrated. I was as frustrated as the day is long because the banks had turned us down. But uh, we, we, we just we didn't have enough money to raise it. People were hurting. People were being laid off. The economy in, in, in Wisconsin had just absolutely tanked. So I began to scheme. I want you to hear this. I began to scheme in my mind how I was going to raise the money to build our new sanctuary. Man, I was going to do a bond offering. You know, I was going to have people pull money out of their retirements, possibly buy bonds, buy different things. And so I, I was just talking to different people about how we could do this because I was pretty set that God wanted us to build this. So I went up to Tim uh, Warner. It's a, another friend that Pastor Sam Walker and I know. I went up to Tim Warner to a missions conference. And there was a gentleman up there by the name of David Franklin from Mississippi. I had never met him before. And so David Franklin was staying in the same hotel that I was. And David Franklin says, uh, you know, I've got a word of the Lord for you. If I could just sit down and talk to you, I'd like to do that. And I go, well, sure, that sounds good to me. And so uh, our, our services were over. We went back to the hotel and we had met first in the lobby. And David Franklin says, I hear from the Lord saying to you, get out of Gomorrah. Now, I got to tell you, my first reaction was like, well, what are you saying? That I'm in some type of a sexual sin or, you know, I was a little bit offensive by that. Get out of Gomorrah. And David Franklin says, no, no, no. He says, let me explain to you. It says, the Bible says that Lot and Abraham left the land of Param Edom looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it also says that Lot was a righteous man. And so David says to me, he says, scene one, they visited seven different cities and none of them satisfied what they were looking for. They continued looking. Abraham would not stop looking until he found what God had set him to look for. But Lot, along the way, became discouraged. So Lot settled, first of all, on the outside of the city of Gomorrah. And here comes an army and carries Lot away. And Abraham, he packs up his family, chases after that army, conquers the army, sets free Lot as well as the king of Gomorrah, and they come back, and now Lot is living on the inside of the city. And of course, we know that God comes to destroy or to judge, first of all, the city, 
And the reports were confirmed, evil it was, but God tries to pull Lot out. And God said to David Franklin to say to me, Philip, you are trying to rely on earthly means to accomplish a divine purpose. You are trying to you are trying to devise and come up with an earthly means of taking care of a divine purpose. And God is saying to you, Philip, get out of Gomorrah. I want to pass that word on to you today. If you are in your own mind trying to reason things out, let me lovingly say to you, knock it off. The best way for you to change the world is to bow down on your knees and begin to cry out to God and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to make a change in my children, in my grandchildren. I need to change this town. I need to change the things that are around me. Lord, if you will use me, here am I. Send me. Let me do it your way. Now, David doesn't know this, but I went back to my hotel room and I knelt over my bed and I began to weep. Because I knew that what he had said was absolutely true in my mind, I began to scheme. I was, I was planning things, working things out in my flesh, in my thinking. I had become post-modern thinking. Instead of being pre-modern where I believe that God ordered all things, orchestrated all things, and if I'm going to remain fit as a Christian, I must first and foremost yield to the Holy Spirit and answer the question, How will the Holy Spirit work through me? So in my hotel room over that bed, I wept, I cried, I repented, and I said, God, I'm not going to give another thought to this building, not another thought to the need. This is yours, 100% what you say it is yours. I went back to my office after the conference was over. I just continued with my devotion, offering my worship to God as any Christian should do. And I heard a knocking at my door, and as I knocked on the door, a gentleman from our church came in. He says, Pastor, I understand that you all had gone to several banks to borrow money, and the, the banks have turned you down. He says, my father had passed away, and as you know, I have a good retirement. But my father passed away, and when he passed away, he left us $600,000 to my wife and I, and we really don't need it. So this is what we would like to do. We would like to offer the church the financing that they need. Now, we needed 550000 to build our new sanctuary. Again, this is not about money. And we'd like to loan it to you, and it'd be a very small interest, and, and we'll just, we'll help you out that way. Would you, would you like that? Now, I want you to know something that I've heard other pastors talk about these types of things, right? So I didn't know how to react. I didn't know if I should get up and kiss him on the cheek or, or, or pat him on the back, say thank you, write him a thank you note. I didn't know how to react, so I simply said that to him. I said, I want you to know that deep inside of me, I am absolutely ecstatic about the idea of doing this. I don't know how to react. And he says, oh, that's fine, Pastor. I'll just get up and walk out. You talk to the elders and the deacons, and we'll, we'll figure out what we need to do. Folks, I, I did a moonwalk in my office after he left. I was pumped about what God was doing through this. Now, there was this resolve in me, God, I'm going to let you do it your way. Now, folks, in small scale or in large scale, if you will allow God to do it, he will never disappoint. So that night, as is my habit, I was uh, in bed. I was reading my Bible. Oftentimes, frankly, I fall asleep reading my Bible, but I sleep very, very well. But I try to read and I I pray. And so I was reading and I was praying and I was just thanking God again for David Franklin, the conviction that he had brought upon me, this, this person that had come to now my, my office. And as I'm praying there, 
the Holy Spirit said to me, Philip, do you want to pay back $550,000? And I said, well, Lord, I'm assuming that you're the one that brought this man to loan us the money. And Lord, I, I'm assuming that, that I should say, yes, thank you, thank you, Lord. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, says, pray that you not have to pay back $550,000. So now I want you to understand this, and this is a mystery I don't really understand completely. If God knew that I shouldn't pay back five hundred, why not just make it that way? But he moved upon me to pray it. So with a voice loud enough for God to hear, which he could hear my thoughts too, but I spoke it out, Lord, I pray that our church not have to pay $550,000. Now, I want you to know that was not birthed in me. I was content to have gotten the loan and paid back five hundred fifty. I was not scheming anymore to try to get more money. That wasn't the deal. The Holy Spirit said to me, do you want to pay back pray that you not have to pay back $550,000. I said, Lord, I pray that the church not have to pay back $550,000. The next day, the same gentleman, 10 o'clock in the morning, came knocking at my office door. I welcomed him in. He sat down. He says, Pastor, last night I could not sleep at all. So this morning I talked to my wife, and uh, my wife and I said, you know, we really don't need this money, and uh, that's going to be a heavy debt upon our church and uh, you know what? Why don't we offer them $100,000 as a gift to get things going, and then we'll loan them 450000 So, Pastor, I'm here to offer you $100,000, and then we'll loan you 450000 so you can get the church up and going and running. I said to him the same thing. I don't know if I should get up and kiss you, or I don't know what to hug. I don't know how to respond to this because it's just such a shock to me. I'm a stoic kind of a guy anyway. And so I said, listen, I, I just want to thank you for being obedient to the Lord. So he says, well, that's fine, Pastor. I'm just going to get up and walk out. And so he got up, walked out, and again, I just did this moonwalk. But it was almost like a tear in my eye because I was like, Lord, how could I have missed it for so long where I schemed and planned? And thank you, Lord, for the rebuke of David Franklin that now, Lord, I've heard your word and I've yielded to you on this. And man, I picked up the phone. I called the elders. You're not going to believe what happened. And I began to tell them what God was doing. Now the elders are all excited. That night, I want you to hear me, that same night, I'm in bed again. I'm doing my devotions and I'm praying. And I again hear the Holy Spirit say, Philip, do you want the church to pay back $450,000? I said, Lord, I don't know what to ask anymore. I just, I simply don't know how I'm supposed to feel I said, Lord, all I know is that I am a vessel that's going to be used by you from now on. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Philip, pray that you not have to pay back $450,000. I am telling you the absolute truth, gentlemen. Ladies, I'm telling you the absolute truth. So I prayed with a voice loud enough, obviously for me to hear, for God to hear, although he could hear my heart and my thoughts. I said, Lord, I pray that the church not have to pay back $450,000. The next day, 10 o'clock in the morning, that same gentleman came knocking at the door. He says, Pastor, I have no idea what's going on. He says, all I know is that once again, this is the second night in the row, I cannot sleep. He says, I don't know what God wants to do. I said, I told God it's all his. It was my dad's. My dad passed away. We don't really need the money right now. And so I, I don't know exactly what God wants us to do. My, my wife and I, because we just couldn't sleep, we just know it's God. We want to offer an additional $120,000. So we're going to give the church $220,000. Why he said $120,000, I don't know. But he says we're going to give an additional $120,000. That's $220,000. That means that you'd pay back to you know, whatever we would loan you, the difference of five fifty dollars minus, which would be about two hundred and thirty. dollars 
And I said to him, my goodness, you have no idea what's going on. And I, I began to tell him, man, last night I was praying and the God said this to me. And now you need to know that in my heart and my mind, there was something that happened. And what happened was this. I was hearing from God and I had always had doubts. You know, I would hear things and I would step out in faith and I wouldn't immediately see a response. And I kind of knew what well, was at me, was at my thinking, my head. But now there is no doubt I am hearing from God. This is unequivocally God, and he's hearing from God. This is unequivocally God, and I begin to realize God wants to move in my life. So that night, I'm in bed doing my devotions again, third night in the row, and the Holy Spirit, after I'm praying, I'm thanking God for everything, and the Holy Spirit says to me, Philip, are you satisfied? I said, Lord, I have no idea how I'm supposed to feel. All I know is that this church belongs to you. And let me tell you what the Holy Spirit says. So do you agree that this church belongs to me? I said, Lord, I agree. This church belongs to you. Okay, if it belongs to me, then I get to build it my way. I heard him say that. Now, it was a thought. You understand? It was a thought that came into my mind. It was a thought that was there. I didn't hear it through this ear. I heard it through this mind of mine. So it's my church. Do you agree? And I go, Lord, I agree. And I prayed that, Lord, this is your church, however you want to do it. I'm no longer living in Gomorrah. I'm not scheming. I'm not whatever you want to do. I want you to hear me. Third morning in a row, 10 o'clock in the morning, the same gentleman comes back and knocks on my door. And he says, Pastor, I am so fed up. I am so tired. I haven't been able to sleep for three nights in a row. I'm telling you the absolute truth. Brothers, listen, I'm telling you the truth what I'm telling you here today. He says, I don't know what God wants to do. My wife and I have said we'll give it all, but we just don't think it's healthy for a church to get such a large donation from just one family because families tend to own it if only one family gives. We don't think it's healthy. But, Pastor, let me tell you this. If you'll let me talk to the deacons and the elders, I will make sure that the building gets built. It will be done by code, by law. We'll do it all right, and I'll make sure that the financing, if you'll just allow me to talk to the elders and the deacons, I'll make sure it gets done. And the Holy Spirit right there and then said to me, Philip, this is my way of building it. I had to right there and then let it go. Now, you need to know this about me. I'm a control freak. I had to have my finger on everything. And the one thing that God wanted to do is to get my hands off of it. Now, that's just me. Sometimes God wants other pastors to maintain absolute management over things. For me, God was dealing with me on that. And so I said, okay, Lord, I backed away. This gentleman, he talked with the deacons. I was present, of course, at all the meetings, all the elders' meetings. I told the elders, I told the deacons what was happening, the trustees, I should say, what was happening. They listened. The whole financing thing, just as he said it, it carried out two times. During the course of our building program, I didn't like the way the lightings were. So I said to the electrician, I think we ought to do the switches this way, that way. And it was a $10,000 markup on the price. The builder came in. He says, Pastor, either you build this or I build this. And I realized the mistake that I had done because God had told me to just leave this thing alone. Another time I didn't like certain things, I did the change again. And again, it cost another $20,000 more on overruns is what it cost. And I just, I had to repent. Now, I want you to say, or I want you to see what I'm getting at. Now, in, in my particular world, this is what God used just to bring solidity to my life about my relationship with him. I want to quickly tell you another story, and I'm going to come to an end on my message here. My son-in-law, his name is Casey. He's a youth pastor. 
up there in Rice Lake. And uh, somebody came in and started teaching them about treasure hunting. Maybe you've heard about this. But it's an idea where a group of people will pray, and they pray for a little while, and the Holy Spirit will give this group of people key words, like red. And so they write that down in the first name, uh, Susan, and they write that down in a river, and they write that down. And, and so they have about seven different clues, just words that the Lord gives to this group. And then as a group, they go out, and they come to a river. And so my son-in-law, and I, I'm off on a little bit of the details, but the main point is the same. So this group of young people, they go out to Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Now, Rice Lake, Wisconsin is about 7,000 people. And the Holy Spirit spoke to this group, and they left the church building where they were being instructed in this, and they happened to go to a park, because that was one of the words on their list, park. They, they, they came to a park that was right next to the river, and sitting on the river banks on this park bench were two ladies with some children. And so they walked up to this lady, and they said, I just want to know by chance, is your name Susan? And one of the words was cancer. And so they, they walked up to this lady, and they explained, now look, we were at our church, we were praying, and these words were given. And so river, park, uh, bench, Susan, cancer. And all of a sudden, when they said this to her, she just began to weep because she had just been diagnosed the day before with breast cancer. And so, so they said, this group says, we believe that God has made you the treasure that we're supposed to pray for. And they begin to pray for her right there and then. Now, this happened about a year ago. And all in Rice Lake, people are referring to that church as a church that goes out on treasure hunts. Now, here's the point. In my generation, I would have never thought that the Holy Spirit would move through me in treasure hunts. And quite frankly, I'm not opposed to it. It just doesn't seem to be my thing. But for my son-in-law, he is so jazzed about the Spirit of God, he can't seem to stop talking about treasure hunts. And so he prays in the morning, God gives him words, and he goes out and does treasure hunts, and his town is being transformed. So here's my point. How is the Holy Spirit going to move through your life to touch your children and your grandchildren's and for the generations to come. We can look at, again, the Benny Hens. We can look at Dad. We can look at Mom. We can look at how the church did it before. And we may sit back and judge and say there was a lot of flesh there and kind of not really like doing it the way that they're doing it. That's okay. But the real question is, how's the Holy Spirit going to move in your life now? How are you going to demonstrate that which Christ came to do? Jesus says, well, John the Baptist said, I come to baptize in water, but he who comes after me is going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that the moment that we accept Jesus Christ into our life, there's a portion of the Spirit that comes into us. And we have an obligation as believers to make room for that Holy Spirit to grow and to strengthen. And my message today is how will we stay spiritually fit in a post-modern world? And the answer is very simply this. This world is dying because they have not seen the Spirit of God at work in your and my life. And I hope that you'll take up the challenge today to say that as for me and my house, from this day forward, I will not buy another car. I will not make a move of home. I will not make a job change. I will not even become new friends or old friends without me first consulting with the Holy Spirit what He wants me to do. I want to challenge you, get out of Gomorrah, get out of your own way of thinking, 
and fall on your knees before God and say, God, I want to have more and more of you. I want to invite the worship leaders or the worship team, if they could, come up and just play some music for me. And I believe that God has given me the authority this morning to just pray with you. I can lay hands on you if you so please, or you can stay in your pew and uh, chair, and I can pray for you there. But I believe that there is a need for you to begin to yield to the Holy Spirit, for you to say, I want a greater measure of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want him to guide me in every decision that I make, whether I stay in the job that I'm at or go to a different job, whether I, 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 I seek out a certain medical procedure or I don't, whether I wait for miraculous healing, whether it be through the doctors or through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Either way, no more moves without first consulting the Holy Spirit. I invite you, if you'll just stand right now as the music plays. And I invite you, where you're at, first of all, to bow your heads. And I invite you to close your eyes. Now, I know that some of you have felt this nudge as I begin to speak. You don't want to be like the Athenian church. You want to be like the Berean church. You don't want to be bombarded with so many philosophies and thoughts and logics and reasonings that you've forgotten that there is one who knows it all, who has the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of every need that we have. Some of you have been challenged today. And I'm inviting you today to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, and that is for you to yield. Jesus could do not many miracles in his own hometown because they didn't believe. I'm not asking you to do anything more today than to simply say, Lord, I ask that you would help me to know how you want to express yourself through me. That my children and my children's children and the generation that is yet to come might experience the fullness of the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, Christ himself through me. Lord Jesus, I'm praying today for this audience. I don't know them by name. But Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit knows the number of hair upon their head, the thoughts and the intents. Lord, you know who here has uh, control issues. You know who here has a fix-it mindsets that uh, they have to do things. And Lord, we all have a certain element of needing to be in control. But Lord, we pray today, I pray today, that as we yield to you, Lord, you will take control of our lives in a whole new way that people will see in us your spirit at work. That they'll see us as a believers to be the wisest, best decision makers, yielders to your spirit. I invite, if you'd like a special uh, measure, a, a a greater measure of the Holy Spirit, I invite you to just make your way up here to the front. We're not going to be here real long. I may just put my hands upon your head and just anoint you and believe God for a greater measure but if you'll make your way up here to the front I guarantee you you'll receive more than what you had before and the Holy Spirit will move in your life and your children will see it and your children's children will see it and this is the ambition that the Holy Spirit has for you that he might be able to move in a greater way Lord I just pray today anointing, anointing Lord fill us in greater measure that the light that shines in us will shine all the more for the generations to come. Jesus, we live in this postmodern world 
the world seems to be unfit, out of order, but Lord, we, the children of God, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, Lord, gives us greater measure. Fill, fill my sisters and my brothers with greater measure. Yes, Lord. Greater vision, greater tenacity, greater insight, greater bravery. Yes, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to see the difference, Alpha and Omega, the beginning from the end. Lord, reveal to us what it needs to be. Jesus, touch and anoint. Answer, I pray, O God. Father, I pray surround this gentleman with wise counselors, full of the Holy Spirit, that guide and lead and minister, we pray, in greater measure, that the impact that they have, Lord, the impact that they have will be greater than ever before. Jesus, I pray in the night, speak to them. In the daytime, speak to them. Father, when they're about to make decisions, remind them, oh God, that you have a perfect plan, a better plan, a better option. Minister, I pray. Fill, fill, Lord, I pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Strengthen the hands, I pray. Anoint, I pray, oh God. And let the spirit of gladness overflow every believer in this place. Anointing, I pray, O oh God, family unity be strengthened. Oh God, do your perfect work. Open up greater doors of opportunity for every person that is here today. We pray, God, open doors that man cannot open. Shut doors that man cannot shut. We pray, Lord, that we would become men and women led by your spirit. Oh God, have your way. Have your way, O oh God. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing greater measure, Lord, of your anointing. Jesus, we rely on you. We rely on you. We rely on you, O oh God. None greater than you, O oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I do pray, Lord, just pour out a greater blessing and greater measure, Jesus. I just feel a word from the Lord. I've heard your heart, Pastor Sam, the Lord says. I've heard your cry for many generations. You've cried out for your children and for your children's children. And you've seen generations beyond, not only here, but in other countries. And the Lord said that there's not a single seed that has been sown by this church, elders of this church, leaders of this church, members of this church, that will not produce in the years to come a hundredfold in his harvest. I hear the Lord just saying, don't be discouraged. That there is a greater anointing than that has ever come before. It will look different. It will seem different, but it is the same spirit moving through that generation in a different way. And the Lord just says, a faithful, faithful have been your prayers. The heavens are filled with your prayers and that the prayers have not gone unanswered that the next generation as you've cried out for they will yield to me they will see me at work in their lives and then they in turn will pray for the generation that is yet to come so just a word of encouragement from the Lord not a single prayer has gone unanswered says the Lord hallelujah Jesus we just pray today continue to move continue to move I may have not been able to touch everybody here today but I'm just going to pray Lord it's not by the touch of my hands, but it's by the touch of your spirit upon every life that makes the difference. And I'm praying right now, Lord, that you'll just speak. 
Speak to us, Lord. I pray that you'd give us the end from the beginning because you are the end from the beginning. We pray, oh Lord, that you'd give us the power to speak uh, when necessary, to be silent when necessary. That, Lord, as we talk to people, it will be like the road to Emmaus experience, that the men will feel something inside of them burning as we speak words of life to them. Lord, we believe that the Bible is relevant, that through it the Spirit is manifested in our lives, and we commit today to just get out of Gomorrah and believe God for greater things. This is our prayer, that your Holy Spirit will move in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap for His great mercies. They are new every morning. Every morning. Okay.